Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the penultimate episode of the penultimate episode before the World Cup, right? That's like the third before. <laughs> I think it's like, yeah, it might that's be. Like yeah, I think you it. might be right. Something like that. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> welcome back. We're, of course, going to be talking about everything European football. But before we do, Rian, we have a big holiday coming up this weekend in at least the States. If you're listening in the States, mm-hmm. we have Halloween coming up. And, um, I didn't ask you this before we started recording, but are you going dressed as anything for Halloween? Yes, I um I have two costumes that I'm uh, oh okay that I have to that I still have to buy the things for for one of them. Um, you're but... gonna tell us, or you're just gonna keep that to yourself? What? Uh, that... Yeah, one one of them <laughs> is one of them. I'm going as uh, Tobias from Arrested Development. Oh wow! I thought you were gonna say Tobias Harris. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> Continue. No, okay, that's good. That will not be happening anytime soon. Do you have um, a bald cap? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what I, I was thinking of. More wearing the clothes. I have. I have a couple different Tobias outfits that I'm choosing between. Okay. And fair. one of them is like the pirate one. Uh, where <laughs> so the, for that one I wouldn't need a wig I would just need no the, you, you uh, just yeah the cap the yep. cap and then like a blouse and all that stuff um so that's one night that that'll be a couple's costume where you basically just my... need a do rag yeah yeah honestly yes <laughs> yeah you're right you're totally right yeah. um and so yeah so doing a couple's costume with that and and uh my partner in crime will be um Lindsay nice and then uh saturday is silk sonic silk sonic costume the bruno mars and um i like i like that i like that (laughs) or so i'm assuming that's you and someone else well yes that will also be yeah but that that one is not my girlfriend (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. okay that makes that makes a lot more sense okay cool (laughs) i was like "Mm, something might not work if you're not aware um love it love it that's awesome uh, i you know yet so i'm supposed to dress up with my team at work we're supposed to go into the office and we're all trying to so my manager's name is alex oh, yeah. and we're mm-hmm. all trying to dress up as different alexes throughout throughout history so like oh my god alexander the great <laughs> alex trebek like all those kind of different characters um i don't know which one i'm supposed to be which is a problem because we got like two days left but i know over the weekend i will probably be going as uh as maverick from top gun oh that's a fun one yeah and and not not too difficult not too difficult i have a bomber jacket and that's about it (laughs) aviators and and the bomber that's all you need exactly exactly so that's gonna be my vibe but outside of everything football related i want to talk about there's sorry outside of everything halloween related i want to talk about everything football related (laughs) i want to talk about of course we're starting we're starting in england with game of the weekend um Yeah, I have a confession that I usually make when, you know, some of these games are not, what's the tasteful way of saying this, entertaining, but (laughs) um, I didn't watch in full the Chelsea United game, obviously I know what happened and saw highlights, etc. But um, I feel like this is kind of a tale of two halves of two average performances. I don't know if you Mm. thought any different while watching this, but... I did. I will say I did on Sofa Score. You know how they have the who do you think is going to win kind of thing. Yeah. I confidently select a draw, and uh, <laughs> I'm not a betting man, but I wish I did. So 
<laughs> well, historically in in the Premier League, like the most common result in this in this fixture is a draw. So, yeah, he would have been. It's all about the stats, man. Yeah, that's if that's you were if you were if you were checking that part, it would have it would have led you to maybe a bit of change over the weekend. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think like going back to your original statement, uh, I I think. In the end, I think it was probably a fair result, right? A one-one um, between two teams that I, I, I'm hesitant to say an average performance. I just think that these are two pretty flawed teams, in all honesty, um, yeah. in, in different in different ways, for sure. Um, I, I I think that there there are really some some positives and some negatives for both teams to take out of it. I thought like overall they I think both sides should be pretty encouraged about some aspects of that game. I think the coaching overall was, I thought was really impressive from both sides. Um, well, tell and, me a little bit more about that, right? Because yeah. I feel like in the first half of that game, this is not something I expected to say, but United were basically playing again, a numbers game against Chelsea yeah. in in both the middle of the park and I think in transition going forward and we saw kind of and I don't know how common this was for Graham Potter at Brighton but he made a first half substitution that doesn't happen often so I'm, I'm actually curious like what what exactly you mean by it being like a really kind of impressive yeah. just battle that way yeah yeah I, I you you kind of hit the nail on the head like the first Basically, up until the the sub from Chelsea, which was bringing on Kovacic for Marco Correa, um, United were just completely dominant in the midfield. Uh, Chelsea basically played with two center mids, and they had their three center backs. And every time Chelsea tried to build up, you saw United basically going man-to-man with, uh, I believe it was Kovacic and Jorginho, and just making it really hard for Chelsea to build possession and get and basically progress the ball up the field um and I think that was really really good from United because you also saw like a lot of times which is you saw something that's pretty in vogue which is the the fullbacks inverting to kind of help overload that midfield and you saw Dallow and Luke Shaw do that but I thought like countless times over the during this game and that's something I think they've been doing um a lot recently in other matches yeah yeah, yeah. uh but that first half hour i think united will probably pretty they'll, they'll feel like they should have taken the lead at least right they first 35 minutes 57 percent of possession they outshot chelsea six to one and racked up about 0.5 of x 0.5 of xg to chelsea's 0.01 yeah. uh, those are those are numbers from understat uh, but I, I thought they were really impressive that first half hour and i think a lot of that had to do with the fact they have like a genuine structure now um we'll obviously get on to casemiro a bit more but him just being in the game like united having an actual defensive midfielder that makes things so much simpler yeah for, for them um and and just makes everyone else's jobs easier because they're not trying to fill they're not trying to cover all that space that's been left in the past um so i thought it was a really strong first half hour from from united and and i was 
very impressed that Graham Potter made that first half sub as well because it was pretty obvious. I, I thought it was pretty obvious, like 25 or so minutes in when it was just like every time United was had possession of the ball, they were just kind of easily playing it around Kovacic and Jorginho. And yeah. um, the first half sub really helped to regain control. I really like that point. And I think there's something that I've noticed kind of with Casemiro is he's fit in more seamlessly than I thought he would <laughs> because I really expected Casemiro to be the type of player that would come into this United side and not have the protection that he had at Real Madrid. And that would kind of outshine some of his positive, really, really positive qualities. But I think what we're finding with the structure that that he has, right, or that he has around him and that Ten Hag has kind of put in place is he can rely a little bit more on his fullbacks than I think he could at Real Madrid. I think midfield, obviously, is less talented, but his job is not as it's not as omnipresent, essentially, like he does not have to be everywhere. and in like a Busquets type way, like he, he covers like a very, very structured area of the pitch. Like he's, it's less horizontal and it's less like all about the, the area that he's covering. And I think it's more just about being an outlet which like, that is the true defensive midfielder thing, as they say. Yeah. Um, I, I, even just taking away the goal, just a, just a, fantastic header you know he he led the game um on both sides in terms of tackles and interceptions with seven and then also had a game high of seven progressive passes so you kind of saw both sides of his game and and both sides of why he's very important to, to united and and seeing what they missed in the past is like like having a a progressive passer period in the midfield um, that that wasn't one of like their attacking midfielders, like something really important, especially to to Ten Hag's um, tactical plans. But just in terms of just making the team again, like I said, simpler, like making things more simple for them. So um, yeah, I thought I thought United have to be pretty pretty encouraged by by that. Plus, I think the start because I think in the past, even with that kind of like outnumbering in the midfield that they had or, or the, the numbers advantage that they had, I'm not sure that they would have been able to, they, if they would have had the structure to be able to play and take advantage of those uh, situations as much as they, or more than they would have in the past. So I thought that was really impressive from them. And then, like I said, from Chelsea's side, the the first half sub just kind of brought the game back into control after that, after uh, COVID just came on. Possession was 51 to 49 in Chelsea's favor. The uh, XG was 1.2 to United 0.2. And then, like, uh, very importantly, Chelsea had 24 touches in the box, in the penalty box, um, in those last 65 ish minutes after having only two in the first 35. So I think like, both sides have to be really happy about their, their man- managerial performances. I thought, like, both coaches come out of that game i i think still looking good um as i began this conversation though the flaws are still pretty apparent as you kind of saw united's 
depth come into play in the second half where the part of the reason why they weren't able to regain control is because the changes made after that outside of Baran's really, really sad injury that feels like is going to knock him out of the World Cup. Um, you, you saw the, the other players they subbed on, though. Fred, who had a great game against Tottenham, but everyone on United's team had a great game against Tottenham. Um, and then the man himself, McTominay, coming on and immediately giving away a penalty that almost lost them the game. And, and, um, and then Alonga came on as well. So I think it's that's the big issue for from United side. I was looking this up. Martial is second on the team in goals and assists this season, and he's only played 105 minutes. That's I, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, right? Like I think it's a bad thing. It's good. I mean, maybe it's good for Mar- I mean, it's good for Martial because yeah. he's only played 105 minutes, but <laughs> as part of the team, it's, I think it's a bad thing. Right. Right. So. Squad depth is an issue for United, and I, I think we've been saying this for like two years. It's not anything new. What do you think is the apparent flaw that you mentioned earlier with Chelsea? Is it uh, also a lack of squad depth? I think less. That's less of a concern for Chelsea's side. I mean, there's there's depth is depth issues might be that they have a lot of the same play, same types of players, but uh, I think a bigger issue is that they struggle for a reliable chance creation. <laughs> um, it, you see it in a lot of games. Like it's either poor decisions, poor like decision-making in the, in the final third and attacking box or poor execution. And, and both of those lead to just lack of chances created, lack of real chances created. Uh, they only had six shots in the entire game. And then to, underpin like this that this has been an issue the entire season they're 12th in the league in xg created so yeah that, that's the two big flaws for these teams for sure and might end up being the reason that neither of them make top four but um i think they still should be encouraged that as the season goes on they get stronger for sure for sure well i guess outside of chelsea united because i feel like in some ways I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'm going to remember this game as much or it's not going to stick out to me. And maybe no, that's like fair. Just a, <laughs> a, a bias. I don't know if it is, but like I, I want to shift focus away to something that I thought was really funny over the weekend and something I'm sure you have many thoughts on um, this seeming battle between Almiron and Jack Grealish that. <laughs> I don't fully understand like how this came about, nor do I understand why Jack Relish like went after Almiron in any way, quite honestly. So if you could help me understand exactly what happened here, that would be great. <laughs> well, I think you know how it all started. Well, well, not even all started. I don't know how this really all started. Right. On the why. <laughs> on the, you're right. I'm also confused on the why Jack really said what he said. But but this really stems from what he said during Man City's uh, championship parade, where he where he was making fun of Mares on the for playing like um he was either Mares or Silva for playing like Miguel Almiron on the in the uh, game against Aston Villa on the final day of the season, uh, which just I, I have no clue why 
Miggy Alvarez caught that caught astray there. I did, I have no clue why he went after him of all people, but um, but this season he's been fantastic. It's it's almost like it's lit a fire under him or something. But uh, he scored another goal this this past weekend against Spurs in their two one win, impressive win again, and and have Newcastle up in fourth place in the league now. Um, you know, just not to keep this conversation away from Tottenham, which, you know, we've, we've talked about like the frustrations with watching them. Right. But, but to keep this on Newcastle, because this is a really good, like the achievement obviously is mm, trying not trying to find the right word to be, (laughs) <laughs> to not to not totally discredit like yeah, anyhow yeah, and yeah. the players themselves, but you know obviously there'll be question marks around their achievements, blah blah blah, right? But um, from an Almiron point of view, though, that's six goals for him this season, one more than he had in the last two seasons combined, <laughs> and, and that puts him as fifth in the Premier League. Um, in it, the goal scoring charts, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, look, I think it's it was interesting to look up to because look something up to here, which was I was curious if he was there was a jump in like the um, key passes or his shot creating actions for this season compared to prior, and they're about the same. So I like in my opinion, I think I think what he's benefiting most from is that commitment to a high press that Newcastle have taken on this season. Um, you saw in the second goal for for Tottenham, like where Lori, where they high press, Loris plays a duck, like a straight <laughs> duck to 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 um, I think it was Cessignon, and it's easily yeah. intercepted. And then Miguel Almiron reminds us why Clement Longley was couldn't get pushed out of the I, door I have quick, no enough, quick enough. <laughs> I yeah, I have no comments on that. I'm just gonna throw that out there. But I, I think he, I think he is benefiting from that high press. They were last season. They were fifteenth in terms of um, a, attempted pressures in the attacking third, and this season they're they're third best, third highest pressures, I should say. Um, and so that's kind of leading to his touches in the box taking a huge jump from past seasons. He averaging six and a half touches in the penalty box uh, per game. Per game. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And and he's in all of his, I believe it's four seasons, yeah. three or four seasons. Uh, he's never averaged more than three. Wow. So it, it, you can see where like, kind of the shift in the team's playing style is uh, giving him more chances to shine in, in the area that is the, like, the reason why they bought him in the first place. Right. So I'm very, very happy for him. Another MLS product that is slow, that has slowly but surely is a at least decent Premier League level player so I think that's a win for for MLS as a as a league well it's progression right it's progression and I mean I don't know how many score goals he scored in Atlanta but it was not small or insignificant Mm -hmm. I remember that um and I, I am genuinely glad to see him continue like that I still again don't understand how we got to this point but I digress I think I think your point about Newcastle's high press is actually really interesting because I think it's had a knock on effect on 
in some ways a Callum Wilson that we already knew was basically one of their top players slash strikers in the league, quite honestly. But yeah. moving him closer to the goal will never hurt you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, how, how many goals does he have this season? Now six. Great question. He, I think he'll be somewhere around the same as Almiron. That's that's I'll, what I I'll look think. this up. Yes. Yeah. While while Rian looks that up, I'd be very curious to understand um, kind of number of goals. But I think I think it's having a knock on effect across the team, and in some ways, it's a surprise because of how well they're doing it. But it's also not just purely because I I think they're outstanding players <laughs> I, I don't think it's much more difficult than that quite honestly so yeah he's at four goals by the way oh, four goals okay so one actually one less that's interesting okay nope take it yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway um do you want to move on to our next segment at least as it relates to the prem some of the disappointments from around the league this past weekend um i don't know what your disappointment's going to be but I have a feeling it's going to be around a certain American coach. I just have that feeling. Am I right? <laughs> uh, you are correct, Ellis. You are correct. Uh, we saw Leeds drop a 3-2 loss this past weekend to Fulham. Um, again, after taking the lead, I, I, I'm curious how many games they've lost after taking the lead, but it feels like they're all, they're always at least – both at least uh, taking the lead or equalized. So that's something I, I'm curious to, to look at more. But fourth game in a row they've lost. No wins in eight straight Premier League games. And specifically, no win since the 3-0 win against Chelsea that basically got Thomas Tuchel the sack. Yeah. I mean, that plus the, the Champions League game. But that was pretty much when it started looking like the writing was on the wall. They're, they're a weird one. Because, yes, they do concede a lot of goals. And you look at a lot of the goals they do concede, and you're just kind of left speechless with how, with how poor the defending can be at times. Um, but that being said, they have the ninth best expected goal difference per game in the league. There's stats, Bob. Um, stats which is better than sixth place Manchester United <laughs> and and better than seventh place Fulham, who they just lost to, where Fulham have like the 17th best expected goal difference Jeez. for 90. So, yeah, there's there's obviously some mitigating factors in here, right? Like Patrick Bamford has been injured for part of the season, and then when he has played in the last few games, he's been really poor in front of goals and and he's had chances um you know that they played really really well against arsenal like actually kind of dominated that game and lost um and and a lot of that down to not finishing chances uh so it's a tough one because i believe it's only six wins in 23 games for for marsh um so it's hard to see how he keeps his job if they continue to not be able to pick up points. Well, at the same time, you could easily see another coach come in that doesn't drastically change the way that they play. I'm not talking about a Sean Dyche 
or like <laughs> or like a Sam Allardyce coming in. I'm not talking about like one of those types of managers, but like but I feel like uh, they constantly have a resurgence every season when these conversations about sacking managers come up, and they're never long term like fixes. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and it just that type of manager wouldn't make sense for the type of players that they have right now. Yeah, I, in my opinion, at least. Uh, and so there's that side of it. Um, there's that side of like if they're a man, another manager comes in, I I honestly think they might pick it back up, but it might just be kind of like the stats and and the results catching up. Like they're underlying performance says they're not playing as poorly as like a relegation team. But, you know, the business is results-based, so they're 100%. not picking up points. <laughs> the one manager I think could be really interesting if Jesse Marsh does actually, in fact, get sacked, um, Marcelo Gallardo from River mm. who in Argentina, who will not be staying an additional season um, in Argentina. I believe their season just wrapped up. So he certainly is available, but stylistically, I think could fit very well with, I guess a Leeds team who rely very heavily on width. They rely very heavily on their wingers and very strong, I guess, abilities. Maybe maybe caveat very strong abilities to play out of the back, but um, actually significantly I'll caveat. Anyway, (laughs) um, I think, I think that's just a name that I would like to throw out. So. Yeah. And and that'll be a really interesting one. Um, I, don't know how much of it was rumors that he was on Aston Villa's watch list before before they made the, the Unai Emery signing, which is st- <laughs> a stunning one in its own. Maybe we can yeah, talk about yeah, that yeah. when we get to La Liga. But um, from a Leeds point of view, like the change from Bielsa to Marsh was an obvious, hey, we think these are similar styles. And and they weren't ready to go full scorched earth and bring in like a, the type the main the names that I mentioned earlier in terms of Sean Dyche those types of, of coaches, so that plus the fact that they even went for Marcelo Bielsa in the first place which was already a kind of uh, unexpected hiring I think a, a coach who came a South American coach yeah, yeah. Um, made his name in South America so like the similar the similarities are are there I, I guess i wouldn't be too surprised if if that's uh one of their main targets if marsh does get the sack just run it back but 15 years younger yeah so, <laughs> yeah well outside of that disappointment um i think we'll i'll be very curious to see how the liverpool leads game goes this weekend i do want to ask you a question about a couple of players that i feel like have been underperforming before we move on to a break i want to just chat briefly about fabinho sterling and sancho right all three players for big clubs in england one of which obviously made a change has basically worked with three managers in like six months at this point so there are extrinsic factors but i'm very curious about why you think each one of these players might be struggling this season and specifically sancho because he's basically a player that i think you really thought was going to be a star player for United this season on, on the left-hand side. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I in, in notes here, you, you mentioned Fabinho and Sterling, so I'll just quickly touch on, on those two before getting to Sancho. I think Fabinho, we kind of... We've definitely about. talked I think about. There's, I yeah. think there's, like, 
partially aging there and i think he's not quite as uh the agility is not quite there and and so he does he is losing at least this is i have not checked any data but the eye test looks like he's losing a lot more duels a lot more 50 50s in the um in the midfield than before and also we've talked about the ripple systems problems if they don't get the high press it makes things way more difficult for him um sterling i that that's that's a good question for that that a lot of Chelsea supporters, including myself, are are trying to wrestle with. Recently, started off really well. Um, he gets into really good positions, and this is honestly something that happened a lot at City. Anyway, <laughs> he gets into really good positions, uh, and then either the final ball isn't quite there, the shot isn't quite isn't quite good enough. Um, and I think like there's another side where. The, that lack of chance creation that's happening with Chelsea, like they almost kind of need Sterling to be more of a chance creator, but that's not what he's necessarily excelled at in his career. So that I, I think there's like a, there's some disappointment there in, in terms of just like some of the decision-making that he makes in the final third has not been as consistent as you would have expected. Sancho, Fair. Sancho, this feels more <laughs> like I, I don't know. This this yeah. this one feels more like um, a disconnect of the player that he was and the player that he is right now. If I'm being totally honest, like that. This is yes, this is his third coach that he's played under in was it like a year uh, or this is the second season at at United's. So in like twelve months, is his third coach. So, so I sympathize with him. Before there, you say anything sure. else, with the the three coaches in six months thing, I was actually thinking about Sterling, but yeah, with Sancho too, I didn't even think mm. about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sterling. Yeah, you're you're totally right. This is uh, Sterling's third coach as well. Um. So, so maybe maybe we give him a bit more time. But on the Sancho point, yeah, he. This is the best United team. Like coach, the best coach United team, probably in let's just say at least four years, at least since they finished second under Mourinho, right? This is the the best coach team since then, and a team that plays more proactive possession. Like my goodness, could you imagine if he was playing in that Mourinho team? Like like he, he oh, it, we would have just said he was ruined more than more than <laughs> yeah. anything else, right? Yeah, this one. I, you can't say that they're ruining him. Like this is, like, you know, Rashford has had his issues in terms of finishing this season, but he looks close to the same guy. The, the ball's not going in the net, um, but he's getting to those great positions. So, Rashford feel you feel good about him right now. Anthony is making an impact. He's he's obviously there for a specific role is playing on that right wing, just kind of being a demon, like cutting inside and, and, and causing havocs um, against fullbacks. And he's playing that role. Well, I, I think he's playing that role. Well, Sancho, like the, the opportunities are there. And when you watch, it's just the execution at times leaves you baffled because then you're thinking about this, this guy in the Bundesliga at like 18 years old was one of the best playmakers in Europe. Like, like it's not, there's a disconnect here. And it's the, the only like real explanation I can think of right now 
is something off the pitch. Like it, it doesn't make sense for like on the pitch, right? It just doesn't make any sense. The only, well, I agree with you. The only thing that I could potentially think of is the amount of time and space he occupies on the wings now versus when he did at Dortmund. Because at Dortmund, I feel like there was a tendency for him to come more centrally, right? And basically have more of an outlet in any direction, quite honestly. That isn't as much of an option. It maybe it could be that his role is a little bit more restricted at United and that takes away some of the creativity, but that shouldn't necessarily be a complete reason to not be a creative outlet. Because I look at someone like Anthony, who is finding spaces basically coming from outside in in the same way that I would expect Sancho to do that. So the only thing I agree with you, I can pick up something off the field because this is a player that was like, everyone's like, oh, Ballon d'Or 2028, you know, kind of thing. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I have no clue. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's really disappointing, honestly. Um, well, for any of your like parlays that you like season long parlays? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I put no money into him. I, I probably would have if I could. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I did it. I did not. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very disappointing, honestly. Um, yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. No. Oh. I, think, I think the last thing, the last thing, not to understand that point before we go to break. Just yeah. Like, I forgot to throw in the stuff I'm looking forward to for next week, but United played home to West Ham next Sunday, which will be obviously, I mean, West Ham are always a test for the top six sides. Uh, and then Alex Awobi has been fantastic. It's a fantastic start to this season. He's playing just normal, like center mid. Um, I looked up, he has this highest proportion of touches in the middle third than at any other point in his career. So he's just finally being allowed to play just like a center midfielder role. And he had picked up a couple assists on the weekend. So I'm looking forward to him continuing his impressive start to the season. He has five on the year. Yeah. It's a wonderful start for him. So yeah. I, I could not agree more. Um, who do Everton play this weekend? Oh, great question. I think they play Leicester. So he'll have a field day. They play um, uh, Fulham. That should be a yeah. great game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, talk about my gripes with Spanish football, and then uh, and we'll wrap up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking everything Spanish football. And my game of the weekend, La Liga, this past weekend was Real Madrid versus Sevilla, a game and quite honestly, a tie that has probably been one of the most lopsided in, uh, in La Liga history. Sevilla, in their last 40 games, in not with just Real Madrid, but against Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico, by the way, have uh, zero wins. And this is away in all away fixtures. Zero wins, 10 draws, and 30 losses. And that is a total of 10 points out of 120 that were possible in all of those away matches, which is uh tally, tally she tallied this up and it's eight percent of all total points away at um Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico over the last 40 games. So honestly, going into this game, I could have told you that Sevilla were gonna lose. It was just kind of a matter of how. But 
honestly, Rod, I was kind of impressed with how they played, like especially in the first 60 minutes of this game. I thought they were I thought they were actually creative. I thought they were bold. I thought they were free flowing. And I know I just kind of went into my rant, but I thought that statistic was <laughs> absolutely hysterical. Um, so anyway, thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they gave themselves some hope with uh, when Lamella scored, right? That they that they might be able to take something from the game. And I guess you kind of have to think about them in terms of how their performances progress throughout the season, considering how absolutely like tepid i guess is a nice way to put it that they were the um under um oh my name's escaping lipitegi yep for for the start of the season so i feel like this is going to be a long process i'm i am skeptical that they'll be able to play their way back into the top four. Oh, that's um, that is definitely not gonna happen at this rate no <laughs> <laughs> i just i'm just not sure that they have the players honestly like and that that is what is most surprising beginning of the season or i guess going into this season um versus watching them now that you felt like by the end of last season they had the, the players yeah to to make the top four but as you've noted multiple times like the losses of Diego Carlos and and Kunde, they've not they've not really effectively uh, replaced those players, and so that's going to make it really tough for them, I think, to consistently play at the, at a level good enough to finish in the top four. So. Yeah, no, 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 without a doubt, like this is this is still a team that is a work in progress, and it's something I shared before the season started. But I think the one game, one thing about this game against Real Madrid is just how you're starting to see some of uh, Sampioli's ideas within the Sevilla side. I think, for example, a player that I would actually love to hear your thoughts on this in Eric Lamella, who essentially played through the middle in this game, was a completely different type of player. Like, he's more, at least from when I saw him at Spurs, more of a left-sided winger. But in this game, he played yeah. essentially as a false nine. And I thought he was their most creative and most basically their best player in this game. And I think the reason why you're seeing, you know, some people tweak things like this is some combination of and Nasiri, Papu Gomez, um, gosh, the rest of Sevilla's attackers are escaping me at this point. But the, long, the point I'm trying to make is they have not been able to score goals. And Lamella in odd situations has actually, when he's played basically in, in a nine or false nine position has been pretty successful. And I think when you combine that with a winger or basically a midfielder, like someone like Oliver Torres, who is coming onto the scene this season, giving him more playing time, Sevilla are, are, are slowly turning into just something new. That's how I would phrase it. Something old, something borrowed, something old and whatever the phrase is you know but um that's what kind of impressed me the most in this game but granted there was no way they were going to win right it it took (laughs) history was against them no it took vinicius one through ball that seemed to (laughs) like pause the entirety of earth and mock running into it for this game for everyone kind of thinking oh this could be three four five that was the first 10 15 minutes of this game but sevilla i thought again first 60 minutes were very strong 
creating chances. We're finding spaces. They expose themselves multiple times, but that's the risk you run when playing Real Madrid. Yeah, it was it was it's really interesting that the uh, point about Lamella there. He led the team in touches in the in the penalty box during that game. So yeah, and, and received more progressive passes than he played, which is normally something that you'd see in a, in a players playing far far forward up the pitch, right? But the, the, that's an interesting wrinkle because. You know, at this point in his career, he is just he's less effective on the wing. Um, and, you know, we know how very one footed he is as well, too. Makes him easier to defend. Uh, but I, I've been impressed a bit by by Isco's performance since coming to Sevilla. So, yeah, that's that's obviously helping them out in terms of like someone else who theoretically can create chances for others right? <laughs> theoretically is kind of the key word but you, you do bring up a good point in that isco has been probably their most consistent starter all season yet i would argue that he maybe hasn't hit full stride and i think a large part of it is because he's relatively isolated in a lot of these games i think he finds himself in spaces that don't necessarily bode well to him finding their attackers i think part of it is because their attacking front three has changed like every game this season. I think part of it is also that Isco is not 2017 Isco anymore. I think it's just okay to say that now. I think he's a player that we we probably can look at and say, okay, I can rely on you for maybe one to two chances, good clear-cut chances per game, but he's not going to do the same thing that Modric does in picking up the ball from deep and and running through to create just a world-class chance. That's not Isco anymore. But to your point, for the Sevilla Tide, that may not be what they fully need. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's 30 years old now, man. That time flew That's by. weird. That is weird that he's, <laughs> he's now the wrong side of 30 because it feels like he's just infinitely 28. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, to close it out on the Madrid side, another game, another big game performance from the man himself, Fede Valverde, with another shot from outside the box that he hammered in. Uh, I, I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, I'm not going to go I for do. Tony Cruz on the top three <laughs> in the world. No, uh, it's his teammate, so you know he's allowed to say that. But, <laughs> uh, but no, I I think he's like Valverde is rounding into just such an effective player. And I saw a video of like his goals from this season so far. And so many of them had the same theme, not just being outside of the box, but um, coming from like that right half space area, either he's shooting from that area or he dribbled or he has gets the ball in that area and dribbles into a shooting position. So it, He's really finding a, a home, a really good role, I think, in this United or United Real Madrid. <laughs> please, <team>. please, no. <laughs> yeah, and this is actually a good transition to kind of my surprises from this past weekend, uh, which I have two. One is in fact Fede Valverde, but in a weird way, he shouldn't really be a surprise, right? This is his fifth. To some of his... us, he's not. He, he never has been. I <laughs> know. Uh, I'm aware. Thank you very much <laughs> for that reminder. Um. He's now, I believe, on five goals in La Liga this season, in which I think prior to the season starting, Ancelotti had basically set a challenge for him to score 10, and he is already halfway there, and we're maybe 25% of 
of the way through the season. And in those number of goals, you mentioned kind of the out of box, the out of the box thing. He has the most outside of the box goals all season in Europe's top five with four outside of the box. So what does that kind of tell you? Well, it tells me two things. A, he has a very strong shot and a very strong foot to the point where I actually found this out. His his goal against uh, Sevilla over the weekend was, I believe, 75 miles an hour. That's how fast <laughs> it was going when I think it hit the back net. Or, or maybe it was its initial velocity. And Insane. if you can imagine a car going 75 miles an hour, you can figure out just how fast that actually is. So that's the first piece. The second piece is I think we start to drill down into like what Valverde's actual role is. Because in some ways, like his role has just been like what the right hand side of Real Madrid hasn't been like anything specific. I think where he's thriving now is in more of an attacking right hand sided midfield role. He's not a true winger, even though we kind of saw that in the Classico. And he's not just an interior midfielder. He's more of a box-to-box player that will span the whole basically right half channel. And that's really important to remember because you don't necessarily need him taking up the same space Rodrigo's taking up or the same space mm-hmm. whenever Hazard decides to play uh, actually <laughs> takes up. So that's kind of my point. And I, I've, I'm glad that we've drilled down into his actual position because in a lot of ways, I don't know if that was ever like figured out. Yeah, that, that that's that's a good point. Like, he is he is a very versatile player, but as you said, he's kind of been moved around almost all over the pitch. Like at, at times, we've even seen him kind of play like like second striker um, for for Madrid, right? But and maybe not this season, but in prior seasons, um, I think I think it's great that he's finding a that Ancelotti has found a role. For him and with Angelotti, it is a lot about just roles and more than more than actual positions. It's just it's like more about you know what role are, are you playing in the team? And um he's playing his fatty fatty is playing his extremely well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I fully expect him to get 10 goals on the season. Yeah, <laughs> bar anything. He's making crazy. I, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but he's oh, yeah, he's making me he, he's making me reconsider, I think, even like uruguay's um world cup success because they're in the same they're in the same group as portugal and i've been whether it's the ronaldo situation or the players getting injured for portugal like i'm getting more and more bearish on them going to this world cup yeah um not having i mean you've seen araujo for this barcelona team for the last two three weeks yeah, that's basically knocked them out of the Champions League. So, like, they're this game is so has such fine margins, and you're seeing that right in in Uruguay. I think being I said a really good example of just how crucial and and how, how fine some of these lines are. That's a really good call. I never thought about it that way. And we'll be talking more about the World Cup in the next couple of weeks, but. I do want to mention the second surprise that I had from this past weekend. Rian is Atletico. And their continued success beating Real Betis 2-1. Um, honestly, the only reason they conceded because Nabil Fakir scored an outrageously good free kick in the 84th minute. But Antoine Griezmann, with his continued run of form being extremely positive, it's like all of the shackles and the contract issues that he had to deal with from 
Barcelona, ex Atletico, all gone. He's officially a full Atletico player, and now he's playing like one in a proper, proper 4-4-2, I think Simeone is starting to come around to. And I mentioned this last week, but I think Antoine Griezmann is genuinely playing some of the best football of his career right now. And that is inclusive of that pre-World Cup, you know, 2018 kind of Griezmann, who was arguably probably a Ballon d'Or candidate, even if maybe others don't want to admit it. Um, I certainly will. Atletico have been away to Hetafe, Sevilla, Valencia, Bilbao, Betis, Real Sociedad. And that's six very, very difficult away grounds. And they've won five and only drawn one. And I think that is incredibly valuable when we're talking about top four. And more importantly, top three, because Sevilla will not be in the top four. So, yeah, Rian, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on Atletico and Simeone's work there, but like, yeah. I, it's just been a complete change. Yeah, I think it's kind of carrying on from um, the, the what I was saying last week. They just kind of got back to the heritage, the the Diego Simeone heritage. He said, "You know what? I have so many great attackers. I'm just not going to use them anymore. Let's just get back to." <laughs> he, he's like, "I've been trying to be someone else for the last two years. Like, <laughs> it's time just just time to go back to the old me and in straight four four two Saul." and Correa playing as wide midfielders. Um, I, I am pleasantly surprised and, and impressed by the partnership that Murata and, and Griezmann are forming right now. Like I think that's been really good. Yeah. But um, in this game, once again, you know, outshot 17 to nine by Betis. <laughs> <laughs> Betis like, XG was 1.5 for Betis, 0.7 for, for Atletico. I was like, yes, this is, this is Atletico. <laughs> this is the team. This is, Simeone team um but yeah it, it maybe just feels a bit more like getting back to the identity of Cholo Simeone and what these teams have been in the past because you know again Ralph Felix straight up not I mean he got subbed on in this game Rodrigo De Paul who was another big signing from last season and another like great player going forward maybe doesn't fit the mold of a Simeone I mean, I think he does in like the aggressiveness and like I think tenacity as a as a player as a defensive the, side. The non technical technical attributes, yeah, yeah. But um, but even he's kind of lost his starting role. Um, Mateus Cunha, who I thought was a really big signing from um, last year, I think is a good player as well. Is basically just subbing on as well. So it's um, I I think it's just kind of going back to. Back to basics. basics yeah 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 back and, to and basics maybe, and maybe that's given the team a bit more of a um less to think about potentially like and just kind of reverting back to how a lot of these players have played for Simeone in the past so it's an interesting one and it's it's not what you expect it to happen this, no it no, may be not what no. you expect it to happen considering the players um and <laughs> leaves a lot of question marks as we've already brought up around Joao Felix and maybe a couple of these other attackers when we're looking at January and the summer. Joao Felix is going to be the biggest loser in this. I mean, he already is quite honestly, yeah. because Griezmann in his free roaming role behind basically a second striker in Morata has given Morata a lot of peace of mind, knowing that Griezmann is doing all the hard work essentially, even at his age yeah. and Joao yeah. Felix is not 
going to do that, nor yeah. is he going to be, maybe he might be as effective as Griezmann on a day, but not consistently over the course of a season. So I think we've said this, what, three times now this season, João Felix, I don't know if he has a place in this team. I think my thought process was always get him in the team, but right now I don't, I don't know if they actually want to. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's you, you, you just, you just wouldn't bet on him being on this team 12 months from now. No, no, it just God, wouldn't no. make any, it just like for his own sake, it wouldn't make, it just doesn't really make sense. Honestly, I'd actively bet on the opposite. So, <laughs> well, the last piece around that I just want to touch on is my disappointments from La Liga. And it's not a specific team. It's not a specific player or even a manager, but it's the refereeing. You and I have talked about, in the 2018 World Cup, how there were no English referees sent to that World Cup to actually ref those matches. <laughs> well, this year in La Liga, there's one La Liga referee going to Qatar, and that is Mateo Lajos. Now, I already have my bias <laughs> on him. I'm not, that's not the purpose of this at all, I promise. But I do want to highlight like some of the absolutely insane decisions that occurred this past weekend and have been occurring over the course of the season. First off, during the, the game, I think it was midweek last week, Real Bet- Betis and uh, Cadiz, Sergio Canales received his first ever red card uh, over basically a 500-match career after basically talking with Mateo Lajos in maybe a way that he shouldn't have, got his first yellow card, and about 10 seconds later, got his second. All in the span of, like, post-90 minutes onwards. Secondly... In Valdolid's 1-0 win against Real Sociedad, VAR disallowed three goals in which both teams originally thought that they were fine. As in, no one had any disputes. And only one, realistically, was probably a clear and obvious goal that should not have been allowed. Thirdly, this past weekend, we saw three really, really, really harsh tackles on basically... Vinicius, Fede Valverde, and Gabby. And all three of those tackles were textbook straight red cards, but only the first two were even judged to be worth bookings, right? The rest, nothing. None of, it's just, none of the players in those, those, those three challenges that I mentioned are actually going to face any sort of suspension, punishment, but two of those players in Valverde and Gabby, so you know this is not biased, are actually potentially going to miss playing time for their clubs as a direct result. This kind of thing needs to stop. And I don't know what you do to face. And I get referees are under immense pressure, et cetera, what, whatnot. They're also paid very handsomely in La Liga as well. I think they have like 400 K salaries. Wow. Um, so like they're paid very handsomely. So yeah, I, I it's just, it's very frustrating and that's it. Disappointing. <laughs> You know, I, I'm wondering now because, you know, there's been a lot of um, outrage about some of the Premier League refereeing, refereeing this this season as well. And I'm wondering how much of this is now that now that VAR, VAR exists and, you know, we always used to see replays before, but now that we know that there's something that can be done about it, are we noticing this stuff more? Are we, are we like, is it, are we finding it harder to forget about them? Um, 
or like is, is refereeing actually like at a really poor standard just kind of across the board in in Europe right now like I, I don't know like that's that's the interesting thing and I know in England they, they said it's been a hard sell to getting people into refereeing because of the abuse that referees get now and so it's it's becoming harder to um I guess kind of get new talent or or uh develop talent even so all in all it sounds like you throw in some of what seems like below average European refereeing that's going on right now (laughs) and what what will be touted as some of the best CONCACAF South South America and Africa (laughs) referees and it sounds like the World Cup is gonna be another shit show with the refereeing. <laughs> um, worse than it was in 2018 when we at least had just introduced VAR. Yeah, that's saying something too. So I'm sure there will be absolutely no corruption, bias, or uh controversial <laughs> decisions made whatsoever. So anyway, that's my gripe. I'm looking forward to quite honestly, I'll be very honest, Barcelona playing Bayern uh tomorrow, at least the time of recording is tomorrow. Um that's it. That's all I got. I'm done with my gripes. <laughs> I'm signing off. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I think that's that's it for me. Barca obviously needs a little help from from Victoria Pilsen. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, well. also also yeah. just help from Inter to just not because they they played yeah. Fiorentina at the weekend in a thrilling four three match, which is a game for the ages. So, um, yeah, if they could lose, that would be great. So anyway, <laughs> we will talk to you all. In a couple of days, we're going to be covering and start talking about the World Cup more. But with that, we'll talk to you all very soon. Thanks, guys.